Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode nine. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and you're listening to the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu Jitsu. Live Jiu Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and the United States who offer free Jiu Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, helping to keep them away from drugs and crime and to inspire them to pursue their goals and dreams. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, geese, and tournament registrations. As a supporter, the BJJ Metal Coach donates all the profits of t-shirts and patches sales to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.liveju-jitsu.org. It's www.liveju-jitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Robert Drysdale. Robert is a fourth-degree black belt under Leo Vieira. He's the owner of Drysdale Jiu-Jitsu in Las Vegas, and he's the co-founder of the Zenith BJJ Association, which has a total of 125 affiliate schools in 25 countries. Robert is the 2005 IBJJF Black Belt Heavyweight World Champion and the 2007 ADCC Absolute World Submission Wrestling Champion. In 2010, Robert began his MMA career, and he has a record of 7-0 with all wins coming by submission. He has been a coach on the Ultimate Fighter for multiple seasons, and he's the host of one of the fastest-growing jiu-jitsu organizations in the world, the ACB Jiu-Jitsu, a professional jiu-jitsu Russian organization. Currently, Robert, who is a graduate student in history at UNLV, is traveling the world producing a documentary, Close Guard, The Origins of Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you, Gustavo. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. That's awesome, man. I can't believe that, you know, like we know each other for almost 20 years. A lot of people don't know that. Yes. I was thinking here, man, who knew that 20 years ago, say like, hey, man, you're going to win the words of the black belt. You're going to win the (laughs) absolute and I'm going to interview in 20 years. Yeah, no, no, no one would have guessed. (laughs) I know it's the trip for people who don't know had a chance to train together. Well, when you were white, but actually when you moved to Las Vegas, back to Vegas. I remember. Brazil, you're already training as a white belt, so you already came with a few months. And yeah. it's so amazing, dude, to see your journey, you know, where you got with the sport. So congratulations, man. So thank you. How did you just show up in your life? Uh, I, I think, um, you know, at a certain age, everyone's looking for something. Some people are looking for it their whole life, Sam. I, I really, I'm a big, uh, I, I, I give luck and fortune its due credit. You know, I was fortunate enough to be at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I was at, in Brazil at a time where jiu-jitsu was becoming increasingly popular. Uh, you're from Rio, Gustavo. Maybe something, think, things might be a little bit different. Jiu-jitsu maybe was always popular in Rio, I can't say. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid growing up in Sao Paulo, or the inside, a countryside of Sao Paulo, Itu, which is like a very small city, no one had ever heard of jiu-jitsu. People heard of jiu-jitsu after Hoist Gracie. Like, a lot of people don't know this. And that's when it became increasingly popular in Brazil. 
And, you know, there were, there was one black belt in the whole city, uh, one purple belt, and they had just started a program in 98. And that's when I started. And it, I fell in love with it. You know, it was really, I was a teenager at the time. I was 16 and it was the right age because I remember very well feeling the need to do something at that age. Like I was looking for something. I know I, I had an expectation that I created for myself. In fact, an expectation that goes back to my childhood. I didn't know what it was, but there was an expectation to do something. And, you know, jujitsu was it. It was love at first sight. Like I never thought of myself as an athlete. I just, to me, it was just, this is so incredible. I have to, I want to get good at this. That's really what it was. And, you know, from then onwards, it wasn't even a matter of being disciplined. It was a matter of, it was almost like something automatic, like waking mm -hmm. up in the morning. You know, I, I'm very careful to use the word discipline because to me, dis discipline is an effort. Like for you to be disciplined in something, it requires an effort. And showing up to the gym every day was never an effort. It was something I absolutely loved. And it was like breathing. It was like eating. You just do it automatically. You don't even, it doesn't matter if it's raining, you eat. You know, I went to the gym. It didn't matter the distance. It didn't matter the effort. It didn't matter what the obstacles were. It was just like, it's something I never questioned. So it was, it was at a time where I, you know, it was, it, it, I was looking for an identity, I guess is the word. Mm -hmm. And it just became that identity. So I was fortunate. Yeah. I related with that, you know, 100%. And how do you feel BJJ relate to life? Um, I think I went, you know, maybe tying it up to my first answer, you know, in life, I think in general, people are looking for, you know, like sort of a method. How do you live life? Like, what is the, you know, and was the, and I don't think there's an, an easy answer or a solution or a recipe on how to live your life. You think you have to uncover on your own. Everyone's journey is going to be different. Uh, I'm not a religious person. Never. I mean, I grew up in church, but like I haven't gone to church in 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's something that, you know, jujitsu sort of became what fulfilled that spiritual need that we all have. And it wasn't anything spiritual in the sense where most people would describe spirituality. It was something that gave me meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't thinking about the afterlife. I was thinking about how do I win that next tournament? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was something far more earthly. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was spiritual to me because it kept me focused in a sense of almost almost like a constant form of meditation. Like I wasn't thinking about anything. When I was 18, I thought more about jujitsu than I thought about women. And that's not mm -hmm. normal. You know, it was just, that's, that's what I was thinking about. It was, to me, it was, I was basically a monk, you know, trying to just live in the dream and doing what I love. And jujitsu became that for me. Uh, it still is, you know, still is granted. Like, you know, it's not the only passion I have in life, mm -hmm. but I think, Jiu-Jitsu certainly does, has fulfilled that that need for me to, you know, the search for meaning. I think that's a big question mark in everyone's life throughout their journey. And they're looking for something to be passionate about. And some people never do. And that's horrible. I can't mm -hmm. think of anything worse in life than living your life and not being in love with anything. Like, and I know people are like that. And I feel mm -hmm. they're miserable. And I'm sorry. I feel really feel sorry for them. But I, I'm happy that I have the capacity to fall in love with things. And once you fall in love with it, it really doesn't feel like work. Like I said, it's not discipline. It's, I'd rather, I'd rather be in the gym than, you know, watching a movie or going to Disneyland or I, there's nothing I'd rather be doing. I don't play video games. I, uh, I work and, and I love my work. So life is great. Yeah. And this is something that I think most of the population, to be honest, go through, they end up doing something that they are not passionate, they're fulfilled, they don't like. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think a big part of the population but how old were you when you had that spark that you know what this is what i'm going to do for a living how old were you around that age 16 17 
I think that the the spark predates my me getting to know jujitsu. I remember in school, I was never I was never like you know the best at soccer. I tried, believe me, I tried mm. playing soccer. I was for Brazilian standards, we're below average. I'm probably above average in most places, yeah. I go, but in Brazil, I'm below average. And I tried. I played a lot. It wasn't. I just there was there was this frustration, the fact that I wasn't as good as the other kids. And I just mm-hmm. couldn't believe it. Like, why this doesn't make sense. Like I'm here every day. Like, why are they better? And there was that one kid who tried half as hard and he was way better than me. I'm like, how is that even possible? I'm here every day. <laughs> and you know, it was, it, so there was an expectation there, but you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe jujitsu fulfilled more completely what these expectations were like in a way things like soccer would have never done. I used to mountain bike before jujitsu too. And it's something I love and I still love, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't as challenging. I felt like it wasn't as intellectually engaging like jujitsu is. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been more of a brainiac type of person. And uh, although I love athletics to me, if there's a smart way to do something, that's how you have to figure it out. If there's an easy way to, you know, get to your objective, then you, what is the, what is the way of least resistance? You know, and I think jujitsu is that art. It is emotional. A lot of emotion in jujitsu is mm-hmm. very, a lot of mental toughness. Uh, there's a physical aspect, obviously there's a strategical aspect to it. So I think jujitsu has always been more engaging than anything else. Uh, so I think that's really what got me to fall in love with it. So were your parents supportive as far as like when you got it? Cause a tough age for a lot of practitioners younger when it goes 16, 17, 18, and suddenly yeah. start a pressure at home. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. So it, how was it? I mean, luckily, you know this perfectly well. The culture in Brazil is very different. And I think I've always said this is one of the prime reasons I think Brazilians dominate the competition scene. It has a cultural reason to it. Like in Brazil, if you're 25 year old, years old and you live with your parents, no one's, no one's giving you a hard time. Like yeah. your parents aren't angry. Like it's not, you're not a loser. Mm-hmm. You know, it's normal. You're not married. You live with your parents. And that's a Latin thing, you know. And, and I lived with my mother until I was like 25, until I, mm-hmm. right before I moved to the United States. Mm-hmm. And no one ever gave me, you know, gave me a hard time for it. So that certainly helped. Um, but, you know, it's, I'm starting to think here of like different reasons. But I think that was, that was a big reason, like just yeah. being able to. And is there any point that you felt that you question if you're doing the right thing? Because especially, a lot of people who are listening, we have, we have entrepreneurs, we have even athletes that are going through, and you know, you go through that phase that there's no money. You know what I mean? You, you yeah. doing what you can well, to make the dream happen. Yeah. You see like, so for example, my mother was an athlete. She was like an Olympic caliber swimmer and she's all, she was always very supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, you know, I think he was like a normal father. would be a little concerned that, you know, his son was playing karate kid when he was 20 years old. In his mind, that's what he was like, what are you doing with your life? You know, you get those ears, you got those tattoos now. And I guess my dad had an expectation for me to maybe, you know, get a suit, tie and go to church yeah. and get a normal job. And I understand that as a parent, I totally get that. I don't judge him for a second. But, you know, on, on the financial end, like I said, I lived with my mother. I had no bills other than paying for my tournaments. Mm-hmm. If you taught in Brazil, you know what I'm talking about. You don't make a lot. It was just enough to pay for gas, for tolls, to pay for my tournaments. And, you know, when I was about 19, 20 years old, I started getting free geese, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then my cost in jujitsu, that, that was it. It was just paying for tournaments. So, but I, I didn't have a car. I didn't have any property. I didn't have anything to show. It was just 100% of my time and energy was invested in jujitsu. And I wasn't thinking of the consequences. I had a plan B in life, which is to teach English. I can mm-hmm. always teach English in Brazil. And that was my plan B. <laughs> I can always move to the United States and get a crappy job. And I got a you know, U.S. citizen. So, 
that wasn't that was like my plan B to be honest. But it was I was there was not a lot of thought or concern about what what future was going to be like. I was in love with the present and I was living in the moment, and I'm very happy I did that because that's how I try to live my life not to not not too far ahead. Like enjoy the moment. Yeah, no, it's cool that since you're young, you decided to pursue what you want, pursue that yeah. desire. And we mentioned, you already mentioned quick too, because a lot of people sometimes, they let us when the opportunities go by for whatever reasons, fear, yeah. fear, disappoint others, meet expectations of others. And next thing, life goes by and, you, and people are like, what happened with my life? You know, I, I lived, I retired with something that I hated and, and now I'm here, you know? So what yeah. do you have to say for people who, in that transition that maybe they're in a job that they don't like at all, dude. they're in a corporate world yeah. and they're sick of it. And they would, would rather be, I'm not even saying jujitsu, would rather be something else, something that they're passionate. Yeah, that could be anything. I, I mean, what I'm going to say is super cliche, Gustavo, and you've heard it a million times, but I think the most important thing in life is to be happy. You know, we, I think we, we, we're part of a civilization. We have this notion of success and we, we think success, the first thing that comes to your mind is having money. Right. And the guy is successful. No one says the guy has eight kids who are very polite and educated and like, you know, speak five languages, maybe like no one's called no one calls that success. They call success is there are people's idea of success is how much money you have in your bank account, or how many bitcoins you have, or how much property you have, or whatever. And I've always disagreed with that notion because once again it's cliche, but we know that money has never made anyone happy. We know this scientifically, actually. There's research that shows us that wealthy people actually struggle with depression and anxiety more than poor people do. So, you know, this and this is backed up by science so it's not we know this now why is it that we're obsessed with this notion of success and i'm not going to be a hypocrite here gustavo and say that i don't like money i'm i like money of course. like everyone else but if i told you i go to bed at night thinking about how much money i'm making i'd be lying i don't think that's ever happened or i'm going to bed and i'm dreaming about how much money i'm going to have in the future it crosses my mind here and there but it's not it's never been a major theme in fact i this is the advice i give people like what is it you're thinking about when you go to bed right before you go to bed you're dreaming everyone's dreaming about something right? Whether it's money, power, jiu-jitsu tournaments, whatever it is that you're dreaming about, that's who you are. And that's who you really are. You're not who you want to be, who you wish you were. You are what you're dreaming. What are your thoughts? And if your thoughts are in jiu-jitsu, then that's who you are. And that's what you got to pursue. Whatever is that you're, you know, I think the big, uh, uh, um, big challenge in life is discovering who you are. And, and it's something that it doesn't come easy because you're, it's hammered through your head that you have to be X, Y, and Z. Well, well, you're not X, Y, and Z, but you're told that you should be, and that's what you have to be. And if your passion is music, then that's what you got to do. Oh, but music doesn't pay the bills. And okay, you got to figure it out at some point. You can't just play video games if that's your passion. But, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's a level of responsibility that comes with, you know, following your, your, your passions as well. But I think ultimately you just got to find the things that you love. And that would be my advice to people is like mm -hmm. figure out who you really are and don't get carried away by people's ideas of what success is. And like when I started training jiu-jitsu, I was lucky. That's why I keep saying I'm lucky. Like I don't give mm -hmm. myself that much credit, Gustavo, because, you know, jiu-jitsu blew up. I was at the right place at the right time at the right mm -hmm. moment. Like people that are starting now and they're going to have gyms 10 years, 20 years from now, they're going to have a harder time than I did. We were, me and you, we were at the right place at the right time. We were in some ways very fortunate. Imagine had we fallen in love with Taekwondo instead. Taekwondo and some of the other traditional martial arts were kind of on the way down in some ways. It become less and less popular, right? Imagine you fall in love with, I don't know, something else that wasn't as popular. Like we, you know, so you, loving the thing that was, that was, uh, that was going to allow me to be financially successful um, was, was a matter of, 
a fortune, I guess. Like, so I, in that way, everything worked out. But when I was starting with stuff, when I was like in my early twenties, like I didn't have any expectations. Like you have to understand, mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about, Oh, I'm going to be doing well when I'm in my mid thirties. What I was going through my head was I don't care. And mm-hmm. I was, I was ready to deal with the fact that one day I might be living under a bridge or living with my parents forever, or just like working a crappy job that I hated. But to me, the risks were worth it. Like what I was looking, I was doing and it wasn't even a choice, Gustavo. Like I just, it was like I said, it was like breathing, uh-huh. just automatic. You just follow your dreams and there was nothing that was going to stop me. You know, it's perfectly well, like the distances I had to travel here in Las Vegas to, to, to train. And what I did when I was in Brazil, I did the same thing for years and it never crossed. Sometimes I remind, I remember like how much of an effort it was to get to one training session. Mm-hmm. And I go, would I do that today again? And I'm like, I don't know. It was totally worth it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I'm 36 going on 37 now. I don't know if I have that same. F- oh. I mean, in some ways I do, but it was brutal, man. It was like mm-hmm. two, three hours in a car or in a bus every day, each way. There's some days, Gustavo, I've been driving for six hours for one training session. <laughs> I did this every day, man. Think about that. Like it's, it's insane, but you know, it was what I loved and there was, there was no stopping me. Um, yeah, that would be my advice to people. Gustavo, was just like, find what you love and don't get carried away by what people say. People are stupid. They're wrong all the time. They don't know you like, you know, you. So absolutely. Yeah. And the passions, they, they evolve too, you know, Yeah. like as yeah. you started with one vision, as you go, yeah. like, you're, like yeah. you said, you're ready. You still have the passion for it, but the competition is yeah. Now it's in a different phase of, of yeah. your life. Like right now, you're still around your passion. We're going to talk later about your documentary. But, you know, still around your passion. And similar with me, I'm in a phase of my life, too, that I've been teaching for 23 years. And I completely retired now. have a great, great group here in Arizona, great support system. And I'm an event promoter as well. But I don't teach anymore. I'm a student. I go there. You know, I, I can go. I can train and now my focus is because one of the I think one of the tips too Robert that's something that I do like when I made this decision to stop teaching I made a list I always have a board you know behind them uh, here in my office and I say what is the things that are coming in my head the most is consistently in my mind I'm consistently thinking and and I put a list of everything I do uh, my main areas which is like five or six re- related to band- business and I noticed that Live Jiu-Jitsu, my nonprofit organization, is always in the top. It's always there. So I'm like, man, this is consistently in my head. And then I started taking more actions. And now, basically, my, I still have my other business, of course. But my focus has been the Live Jiu-Jitsu, the nonprofit organization, and the podcast. Because the podcast can be a great vehicle to promote a nonprofit organization to Live Jiu-Jitsu. But still around the passion. The passion, the vision has evolved in Man, I agree with you 100% about the money situation, you know, and of sometimes people just put too much effort, the prize, the money, the, and there's something that Wayne Dyer, uh, he's a, a motivational speaker, passed a few years ago, he's a, uh, a doctor, and he said, you come to the world, to this world with nothing. And you leave with nothing. You're not going to take, you know, your badass ride in cars, you know what I mean? And all that. So while you're here, just make something meaningful that, you know, you want and you're going to help people. Just go from there. So what did you say? uh, What did you say is the, in your, as far as your entrepreneurial journey, what is the biggest struggle? Did you say that you've been through? 
I think that maybe as a business owner, like to me, like doing what I consider to be right has always been important to me. I'm a person of very strong democratic leanings. Um, and, you know, running the business is very hierarchical. It's very top down. It's very cutthroat. And the big, the, the thing that's always jumped at me as a, th- a very constant theme as a business owner is finding a balance between doing what I consider to be right and doing what is considered to be efficient. And they're very rarely the same thing. Yes. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a divide there, you know, and there's this, uh, this separation between, sometimes they overlap, you know, sometimes you can find a happy middle. Sometimes you can, you know, they are the same thing, but often doing what is, what is efficient for the business is very moral in my opinion. And, you know, we know this for CEOs or sociopaths for the most part. Like, you know, there's a correlation between, you know, strong business leadership in business and, and sociopathy because they don't care. The sociopath doesn't care about how other people are going to feel about their actions. Uh-huh. They just don't care. I'm going to do what's best for the business. They're very cutthroat people. They'll fire their mom if they have to. If there's a parent that has like a little daughter who's dying of cancer and he really needs that job, but he's five seconds slower than the guy next to him. CEO is going to fire him. You know, the company's losing 35 cents a month, you know, and uh, that's how these guys are. And there's a reason why they're at the top. So I've never idolized like a big business owners, like, you know, these, these huge entrepreneurs that run like huge companies and everyone puts them on pedestals. And I'm, I run a very small business, but I'm aware of the type of decisions I have to make every day just to stay afloat. The kind of decisions these guys have to make every day to be at the top where they are, I wouldn't be proud of those decisions. I don't think I could ever make it to that, you know, to the top like that because, you know, how, how people around me feel. Most likely you're not being congruent with your values. Oh, no, absolutely not. Like, there's saying, a reason. Yeah. I, think the, I think we live in the world with the very worst come to the top a lot of times, especially in business. It's not the, the best people. Like, they, might, they might have a pretty an image of good people. I'm such a great person. But a lot of times they have PR industry behind them. Like they have like all these, you know, these psychologists teaching them what to say and how to act and body language and act like you're a great person and everyone's going to believe you. And they come across as great people, successful people, and you want to emulate them. But I've been around some of these people and they're not great people. The best people I've ever met were simple and they're hardworking Americans and middle class and lower class. And they weren't, they were striving. They were working hard, but they didn't have that same ambition. I think ambition is something you got to be careful with. You know, Mm -hmm. the second your ambition is harming you as a human being and you're not necessarily doing the right thing anymore. And you got your mind focused on business and success and, it's, I think that, you know, that's not, it's not doing you well anymore. And I, it's something I, as a business owner, I struggle with, to be completely frank with you. Like I, I've had that situation in gym not, not too long ago where, you know, some people they just weren't carrying their weight and it wasn't because they weren't trying They just, it wasn't, they weren't the right piece for that, you know, part of the puzzle. Absolutely. And, and you have to let them go in order not to hurt the business. But it broke my heart because I knew how much that person loved that position. And these decisions are made every day, Gustavo. And that sucks. There's a part of me that's like, I hate this job. I just want to be an employee again. But at the same time, I feel like I find a balance, you know, and I, I think I, I'm, I, maybe I'm, maybe self-deception speaking here. I can't, but other people around me are going to have to speak for me here. But I think I do a better job than most. And I think I consider myself to be a fair person, but, you know, certainly with flaws. But it's, it's something I struggle with, Gustavo. Like, uh, oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Not just, especially you, man, you and Kavaka have one of the biggest organizations in, in the world. It's a lot of relationships to take care yeah. of. You know yeah. what I mean? It's Hundreds, a lot of thousands. people that uh, thousands. Yeah. Grew, grew up in, 
you know, different values and morals and different beliefs. And you suddenly everyone is, it's working together. And this is a struggle for men. So many people, not just you. I had one of the, the podcasts I had, Tim Crater, and he said, I was like, what is the biggest struggle? And he said, staff, understanding, dealing with staff, knowing that, hey, yeah. this is my buddy, but I'm his boss. So we, yeah, yeah. we wear a lot of different hats. You know, for people who are yeah. listening, you're going to have to wear a lot of hats too. And this can damage your relationship. For example, husband and wife working together. If you maybe the listener is someone that you get in a project working with your or your wife or husband, it sometimes can be, uh, it can be tough when you bunch up everything together and just say like, babe, this is the deal. I'm, I'm wearing the, the boss hat right now. We're talking yeah. about business this year. You know, this is too easy no, than said. Huh? I've, I've, I've been married to two jujitsu black belts. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's very difficult to separate these relationships because not everyone can keep them separate. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I'm your friend, but right now I'm your boss. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to tell this story because it's my sister and she doesn't care. So I can say it, <laughs> but my sister worked for me for a while uh-huh. and she's my sister. You know, so she speaks to me like I'm her older brother and like we have a very like cool, we're friends, you know, uh-huh. I was, she was working for me for a while. And one day I showed up at the gym and I, we were talking about something and derailed into an argument, which is okay. I'm okay with like hearing out if I'm wrong about something. I'm not the authoritarian type figure. But at one point she goes like this, like, psh, 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 shut up, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Sorry, tell me shut up <laughs> inside my gym. I'm like, okay, that's why I got to draw the line. You know, that's yeah. too much to me. It's just kind of fun. But eventually we agreed that she, you know, she was going to stop working. Mm-hmm. wasn't working out but it's difficult like tim is right like it's a very difficult thing to draw that line because not everyone knows how on the mats um i might go you know out for dinner with you and i can joke around and we can be friends and i'll meet you eye to eye when we have dinner but when i step on the mats you don't meet yeah, me eye to eye anymore exactly. and it, very few people have the maturity to switch gears like that you know 100 percent. so we just say that how did you improve this process, because again, a lot of people having the same issues that you have, this is a common thing. So maybe one action that helped you to deal a little better, because one thing uh, I like to follow Gary Vaynerchuk, I haven't watched his videos in a little bit, but a lot of stuff that I like in his content, there's something that he mentioned a while back that cl- it took me a while to click, to click, to be honest. And I'm, man, we're in 2018, probably about a year ago, they really, really, really sunk in, but he say, stop being romantic about your business. Kind of, yeah. oh, but it's, oh, it's my baby. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's a business. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. this is, and this is hard. It, this, especially when you start dealing with employees in a case that you do have a relationship, because especially yeah. in jujitsu, you know how it is for the most part, it's changing a little bit, but for the most part, there's not, you don't put a, an ad to say like, we need a jujitsu coach. You work with whoever is around yeah. You know, yeah. and little by little, and man, like no one to draw this line. I think this is um, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. So, what do you think? A little thing that has helped you. One thing on this, I just started implementing this. Is because I'm learning. No one ever taught me. I never read books on this. I didn't have a teacher. I I, I was just watching that movie, uh, Mister Arcading by Orson Welles, and the opening quote goes something like this: So. King invites the great poet to his kingdom, you know, and can't remember the quote verbatim, but he goes like this. What is it at all of my treasures that you would like to have? Ask of anything. You can have anything you want. And the poet replies, anything except your secret. Hmm. And I, I love that. 
that because that to me is that's how I look at things. I like to learn the, my lessons my way, and I want I want the experience of learning. Like that to me is a real treasure. It's not having it. I mean, yeah, you can learn from someone else and probably make less mistakes in life. But I'm happy with my mistakes, you know, and I've made them. But now it's the point where I feel like I've really learned the lessons that I need to learn, and you know, I'm trying to implement some of them. But to answer your question, uh. You know, I have a, like a very honest, if you're going to hire a family member or a friend or a student, someone you have a relationship, it is not a business relationship. It is a sort of friendship or love relationship. You know, sit them down, have like a long chat with them and lay down the expectations and the obligations and be open with them. Like if I talk to you like this, it's not because I don't like you. If I don't say hello when you call me, it's because I'm busy and I'm going to be straight to the point. That's how I talk. Sometimes I don't say hello. I don't have time for 30 seconds of like, hey, let's, it's like, go talk. I'm busy, man. Like my days are 15 hours long and I try to max maximize my time with my children. And I don't want to be, you know, like some people seem like a 30 minute long WhatsApp audio. Like, I'm sorry, man. I don't have time for that. Like just mm-hmm. get to the point. But like, let's make it, they understand that when I'm talking to you about business, it's about business. It's not, if I'm rude, it's not because I don't like you. It's not personal. It's because let's get straight to the point. Let's get it done. Mm-hmm. And get them to understand that. And in fact, I would write it down. Some people just like to hear and they don't listen. And then they're going to say a year later, you never said that, write it down, write it down, make them read it, like memorize it, sign it. Like here, here's what the expectations are, you know, um, on my end and your end, this is what you get for what you're working. And, you know, as you get better, you'll probably come up. That list is going to get longer and longer, but have that. Don't expect people to know. Someone told me this the other day and it had a huge impact on me and it it relates directly to this theme. And it goes like this. People don't behave based off of your expectations. They behave based off your tolerance level. So the beauty of a contract or an agreement is that right off from the get go, there are no, like you're not creating expectations that weren't ever there. Because sometimes in my mind, the relationship is going to go in a certain way and your mind is going in a completely different way. And that's when we have problems. When we put it down and write it down and we agree on it and I'm hiring you, this is the job. Are you okay with it? And you say, yes, I am. And you sign underneath it. Down a year down the road when that person's not doing their job or they're getting all, you know, you show them this this is the agreement. And I think contracts are a great way of keeping friends. And I I, I thought they were horrible things before. Like these days, I think a contract, the way you want to keep going to do business with a friend and keep the friend is write a contract. No, no handshake agreements. That's, that's exactly how you lose a friend. And it's happened to me more than once. So get it in writing. I hear. So what is a one, a high performance habit that helps you progress in jujitsu and business in life? Something that you do often. I mean, it goes without saying a work ethic, whether it's jujitsu or business, you know, like I, I think a lot of, I see a lot of people talking about doing stuff, but when it comes to actions, it's not backed up. There's a lot of talking, like I'm going to do this and you go through Instagram feed and it's all like motivational quotes about getting shit done. And I'm like, bro, I'm watching you. What are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> know. do it. Like spend less time. It's like, to me, it's funny. Like some of my students, like for every training session they have, they train like it's like five Instagram posts talking about training. Like it's <laughs> if the ratio is five to one or one to five. Let's look at like one and five. Let's look at it like that. Then you know you're probably not on the right track. <laughs> but um, just work ethic. I think it's one. I, going back to what we spoke about earlier, being passionate about what you do. Like that's uh-huh. a big. You have to love it. I don't believe you can be good at something you don't like. Like mm-hmm. I don't like baseball. I, I don't never be good at baseball. I don't play it. I don't. You know, it's not my thing. Like how can you be good at something you hate? I, I don't know. I don't can you. Is it possible? I had to be incredibly uh, disciplined to get good at something you hate. Like I've always loved, like I, I love the project. I only get involved in projects I love. I've been very bit fortunate to be able to choose to get involved in projects that I'm in love with. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's the recipe to success is loving what you're doing every step along the way. But the secret success is, I mean, what you just said, you chose. You know what I'm saying? People yeah. can choose. No, no, you're right. Like if you can choose, choose yeah. you know, because some people say like, well, I chose not pursue. You chose to pursue. So this is something that I, I, I always talk about this word, choosing how we're going to interpret the situation, choose yeah. how we're going to respond to this fact that something that happened in your life. So the, for people not to underestimate the choosing part, because it's full, like, your own response. You took that responsibility and you chose yeah. whatever was in favor. So that's one thing for everyone to keep in mind. Can, can, so can I add something to that really yeah, quick? Absolutely. Because I just, just to jump in, cause I just, I don't want to lose a thought, you know, like when one of my students loses a tournament, what happens? And I think, I don't know if it's a millennial thing. It's a generational thing. I really can't say, but I always blame myself when I lost, I lost. Yeah. The referee sometimes made a mistake. You know, maybe your training partners could have, you know, helped you more, but that's like, yeah, I think 99.9% of the equation is, Absolutely. you know, and I've always, I've always tried to get that across to people. So what I tell my students when they lose is like, go back the two, three months before you determined that you lost. Did you do 100% of what you could have done to win? Did you, did you give it all? Like was not, not just technique. I'm not just talking about training. I'm talking about in life, like your eating habits, your drinking habits, your sleeping patterns, like being disciplined about the whole process of understanding the rules, getting ready for your opponent. Did you do everything in your power to win? And the answer is always no, you didn't do hundred percent. And I think it goes for everything in life. So, you know, I see people, for example, I know someone is trying to open a business, right? And I got no two years, three years from now, I'm going to a very specific kind of business. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing anything about it. Like, okay, you're going to open that sort of business. You should be studying about it. You should be reading on it. You should be out. It's like there's no effort behind what they're saying. So the question is, are you doing 100% of the actions necessary to make your, you know, your, your goals a reality? And I think the answer is pretty much always no. Like you're not doing all you can. So there's always more you can do. Mm-hmm. And a cool thing too that I can say the experience of of knowing you for so long and looking back, one of the things that I knew that you're going to do well in jujitsu is not just, of course, the quality, but, but I remember well how much you hate losing, dude. I remember the times that I saw you losing, you would be so like mad, but that means if possible on the same day, you're back at the gym. You know what I mean? First thing in the morning, you'd be back in the gym, just like, you know, doing and training. That's something that really stood out. Was that the, desire of not accepting you know what i mean like yeah. a result or this so like you said whatever happened but you're back there and of course it's not by accident that you got the results that you that you got and that's any world-class guy i bet they were super pissed that they lost and they got back to it you know yeah. Yeah. so what do you think was the best advice you ever received i don't think i i mean I'm the kind of guy, I don't learn a lot by what I say or what people tell me. It's more about their their actions. Like if I see someone doing something and it's working, like to me, that's the lesson. That's the advice. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a factual lesson, not a verbal one. Because I can give you a million quotes right now and doesn't you go in one ear, out the other. You may or may not remember it, but that's not going to change your behavior. Mm-hmm. To me, it's always been like observing other people. And I've always observed the people that were successful. Mm-hmm. And whatever that they do, whether it's business or jujitsu or, you know, like, and they had one thing in common. They have a few things in common. And I always observe what those things were. Like one, they didn't talk much about it. They just did it. They weren't talking about being successful. They just 
went and did it. Mm-hmm. Right. They weren't making promises about the future either. They were like, what can I do with this next 10 minutes to make something like they were very engaged in the moment in the sense where like they're, they're not thinking, they're not making plans that far ahead. It's kind of like, what am I doing right now? Right. It was very, um, they never made excuses. Those are the things that like, they never made excuses. You know, if something is failing, then what can I do? And if it's 1% that I'm responsible for, that's the 1% I'm going to focus on. You know, versus, oh, it's the world's fault. You know, it's the weather, it's the rules, it's this, it's that. And like, no, if something's going wrong and, you know, it's repeatedly, if it's going on wrong over and over and over, there's a common denominator here. Mm -hmm. And the common denominator is likely to be you. So what are you going to do about it? So I think that to me is the lesson. I, I think I took that largely from... Like I said, successful people I've been around, like some of the, the successful athletes I've been around, like they mm-hmm. had these these traits. Um, I definitely took my work ethic from my mother. Like mm-hmm. she's a very hardworking person, like um, very passionate about what she does. Like when she does something, it's her heart. doing it. And I think I took that from her. And going back to what you were saying, like, yeah, I think being competitive is single-handedly my biggest asset in jiu-jitsu. So I was never the most technical or the strongest or the fastest. So it was okay. It was average, but when it came to like being competitive on the mats, that was a hundred percent my quality. And I think I got that from my mother. Awesome. And what advice would you give to your young, younger version when you started your entrepreneurial journey, you open up your school, you know, so if you have a chance to go back and talk with Robert back then, like, Hey dude, I just going to give you one advice yeah. real quick here. You know, what would you say? I would have, I would have taken the, the financial, you know, situation the the details of finance more seriously. I think that, you know, I wasn't as, you got to remember too, when I opened the gym, Gustavo, I was still fighting professionally. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't a priority in my life. I wasn't yeah. as, that was just too much going on. And, you know, I, I think that being, a, there's just a lot goes on. Like, because people walk into a gym, they do the math. They see a hundred people times 150, it's X amount per month. Oh, <laughs> the rent is 4,000. I can do that. You know, it's like, no, oh, <laughs> it's not that simple. There's a lot more to go. People that open their own gyms, find out the hard way. I, I, I've given that advice to former students <laughs> open a gym and they think I'm hating on them. Like, oh, Robert, just scared that I'm going to open. Like, okay, off you go. You try. <laughs> and then, you know, too soon enough, sure enough, like two years later, like, Rob, you were right. Holy cow. This is way harder yeah. than I thought it was going to be. But, you know, I, the advice I give myself is the financial aspect and I would have been done a better job at understanding that not everyone is right for that particular job. Everyone, I believe every person is useful. There's, I've, I've never met a completely useless person. Okay. Maybe mm-hmm. a friend or two, but it's <laughs> <laughs> very rare people. Most people, they, 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 they're, they're good. At, they're good at something. The, you know, I, I think you've got to find the right exactly. person, for the right job. I, I, I met a billionaire a while ago. And going back to this, a good advice. So this guy told me this. He's a billionaire. And he goes like this. Robert, I'm not good at anything. I have one quality in life. And I'm really good at this. But I don't know how to do anything. I had, he owns like God knows how many companies, right? And he goes like this. I know how to find the right person for the right job. I'm very, very, I get a gut feeling about a person. And like, okay, this is what you're going to do. And he hires the right people for the right jobs. And that's really my only quality. And when I think of guys like, let's say, Elon Musk, I think he did the same thing. Like he didn't yeah. invent the Tesla battery. He didn't invent the battery. That was some engineer who's the true genius behind that. It's not him. He didn't invent anything. He, his job is putting it together. It's putting the pieces of the puzzle. It's, it's a puzzle. That's all it is. And you put the piece, the right pieces in the right places. And at the end, you get a beautiful picture. And that's what these guys are good at. And it's, it, I, would have, I was in denial about human nature, I guess, at a younger mm-hmm. age. I was in denial about how people were. Like, no, 
if they try hard enough. And sometimes, yeah, you can change here and there. They're, we're malleable, but we have a nature and it's, it's somewhat fixed. And I believe it's from birth. Some people just are incapable of doing certain jobs. And, you know, if you're gonna, you can keep trying, but you're going to keep failing. Got to find the right person. And the bad news is, this is really bad news. They're very hard to find a jiu-jitsu world because everyone wants to be a jiu-jitsu bum. <laughs> everyone <laughs> wants to be, everyone wants to live the life and not, you know, I just want to teach for a living and not work and just take selfies and take pictures at the beach. And it sounds awesome, but if they're hard to find a jiu-jitsu world. You might want to look outside. I, I totally understand. So what book would you like to recommend and why? Maybe you, you think about a book that has made an impact on you. You know, that you could, if you could, I don't know what book you'd like to recommend to people. I think my, I mean, I have a number of favorite books. I have a favorite book per topic. Like the yeah, that's what top. I was going to say too. More like in a self-improvement, discovery, you know. There's one that I read. Um, we, it was, um, it was a discussion I had with a professor in college back in Brazil. And, and he gave me the book. It was an amazing, he gave me a copy, right? And it was a book. It's called A Listen Little Man by Wilhelm Reich. Reich is a psychoanalyst. The book's not, not about psychoanalysis. Um, mm -hmm. It's about people. And he's very disappointed. It's the end of his life. It's at the end of his life. And he's just angry. He's, he never meant to publish the, the, the book. It's a rant. And it's wow. called Listen, Little Man. Hmm. And it's like 100 pages long. It's very short. you know. And he basically goes off. And he's, he's very disappointed in people. And he goes, why is it that you choose to make the same mistakes over and over and over? Why are you like this? And He's talking to all of us, you know, in the little, he's not pointing fingers. He's talking to himself. He's talking to humanity and he's, he just expects more of people. And I've read that book maybe eight times every now and then I'm bored and I'll go and reread it. And it's such a great book. And what I took from that was I'll be anything in my life except a little man. A little man is a man who can't think of himself. He just follows the herd. Can't think outside the box, makes the same mistakes over and over, is scared of a challenge, runs from challenges, just likes to stay in his comfort zone. That's the little man. That's what he's Don't take any responsibility. Like, no responsibility of your mistakes. And he's terrified of pain. And that's what I took from that book. And I'm a little man too. You are. We all are. But the thing, the challenge in life is how not to be a little man. Like let's, let's, let's grow to something better. You know, and I think we all have that capacity, but it's an effort. It's not something awesome. that comes easy. Highly recommended. My favorite book of all time. Now, what are you currently excited about? I know now I want to talk about your project that I'm excited about to see when it's going to come out about the oranges of jujitsu. And I want you to expand a little bit more about this project. Well, um, I, I'm a history um, undergrad and in, 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 finished my undergrad in Brazil. And history is something I've always loved. But I was in love with ancient history, medieval history, and then modern and contemporary history. It's never been history of jujitsu, ironically. I never cared for it. Um, I've always been suspicious of the official version because I knew it was an oral account and you got to be very careful with oral accounts, especially if it's told by the people who have everything to gain from those accounts. And, you know, I read a book by an author called Roberto Pedreira. Uh, it's called Shocking. It's available on Amazon. And it was the first piece of scholarly work done on the history of jiu-jitsu. And when I read that, it's big. There are three big volumes. They're big books. They're not, they're not light reads. They're not easy reads. I mean, they're, they're filled with facts. It's not a narrative, you know, and a lot of, you know, dates and names. And so it's not a story. So they're heavy reads, but when I, I couldn't put it down. It's like, like, wow, I didn't know that. Well, that makes sense. You know, oh, that's why that is this way. And I, we found out that the story of development of jiu-jitsu in Brazil was far wealthier than we thought it was. Hmm. It wasn't as simple. There were a lot more people involved and a lot of like unusual events and things that didn't quite, like they're very unexpected. I think jiu-jitsu in a way, going back to the initial of our discussion here, Gustavo, was 
it's it's um to the degree of fortune as well it's a very unusual story when you really go back to its roots it's like there's a lot of like strange equations in this strange numbers in this equation and the result was brazilian jiu-jitsu so i had the idea of putting it in a film format i had no experience with film i've never even thought i'd be doing a documentary film one day but a lot like especially not not about the history of jiu-jitsu it was a bit of a surprise but like when, like when i'm passionate about something i get something in my head like i don't get intimidated like if something I like and there's something I have a vision for it and I, I know it could be a good product, I don't get intimidated by the idea. So I start seeking out the right people. I understood that I wasn't, I've, even though like I knew the story better than most, there were people granted like a handful of them the whole, in the whole world that knew this story really well because they had been studying it for 15 years. They were uh -huh. just historians and researchers and they weren't in the jiu-jitsu community. They trained, you know, but they weren't known into the community. So they, they, they never got the story across. So I started finding these people and I developed a relationship with all of them. Uh, I found a, t a film crew, like a production crew that had a lot of experience in documentary productions. And we started putting the, like, again, I'm the guy who's putting the puzzle together. I'm like, I'm not the expert historian for the history of Jiu-Jitsu. So there are people that know a lot more than I do. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't know a thing about documentaries. Uh, if there's anything new I'm doing is I'm the one writing the script. So it's pretty much my plot. Like I made the decisions on what the direction to story, because you could have gone in a million different directions, right? Sure. Uh, I'm the one who make those decisions, but I'm, I try to consult as much as possible. I hate to be the one, the one who determines what history is. What, uh, so it's, it's, it's a lot of responsibility to say this is what happened. So I, I have a team of people giving me advice and giving me suggestions. So I try to be as fair as possible and not make the same mistakes that others have made in the past, primarily members of the Gracie family. They were a little biased when they gave their, and I don't think it was on purpose or dishonest. It was just like, if I ask you, what's your, What's your interpretation of jiu-jitsu, Gustavo? You're going to give your perspective. You're going to speak yeah. of an ovunio. You're going to speak of your friends. You're going to speak of your background in Rio de Janeiro. And that's, I mean, that's almost inhuman. Like, is that dishonest because you didn't talk about, you know, like some school in Sao Paulo? Like, mm -hmm. It's not, it's not your, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you tell jiu-jitsu history from your perspective, you're going to, you're going to say, you're going to, you're going to talk about your environment and what mm -hmm. you saw. And they did the same. So, you know, you can't get, you can't be too hard on them either thinking that they did something that, you know, it was, it was this dishonest and so I think to some degree it might have been in some cases at least but for the most part it was very it was pretty much what anyone would have done and that's how I, how I feel about it and the objective of the documentary is to I won't say I don't I don't use the word correct I use the word complete you know complete mm -hmm. I think that's a better description of what this documentary film is about granted it's mission impossible we're telling 100 years of history in approximately 90 minutes so you wow. can imagine how hard that's going to be do you have any day, an idea when you're going to release? We're uh, right now. We're in 2018. We're in July 2018. So, I'm thinking before the end of the year. The goal is for it to be out before the end of the year. If nothing goes wrong, and these things, a lot goes wrong. So we can't. I can't say for sure. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to. I, I, I'm, my priority is to put on a good film. It's not to release it before this day or that day. Like most films, are worried about releasing it before some other production might compete with it. See, I don't have that problem. Or our team, we don't have that problem because there's no competition. There's nothing like this. No one has ever done anything like this. And if this is done well, it's never going to be redone. The mm -hmm. masters we interviewed in Brazil, they're all in their late 80s. So this be very difficult to redo this movie in the future. This is being done at the right time. The very the generation of people that could tell this story from a firsthand account, yeah. they're, we're losing them. I, I don't think you can redo this movie in 20 years. It's not going to be possible. Like, so I, I, it's really something that has to be archival. That's the goal. Man, That's the goal. So people 50 years from now still be referencing this story and like understanding how it happened. 
through this documentary because the truth is most people are not going to read three big volumes. So the documentary is like an attempt to get the story to a broader audience, you know, through the through video format, not not written format. Yeah, dude, this is a priceless experience for you. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. So what did you say? Like one Incredible. story that really like you know, caught your attention, or maybe a takeaway, something that, you know, we've been visiting different countries, but something that popped in your head right away, just like, man, this year was interesting. You know what I mean? Uh, could it be someone that yeah. you met or a situation? There was a lot. Yeah, so like that, that's a whole podcast in itself, <laughs> man. Like the experience has been single-handedly. I'm as excited about this as I was when I first started jiu-jitsu. Like you just want to be in the gym all day and all these new moves and you're excited. It's, it's ecstatic. Isn't mm-hmm. this how I describe the feeling of all of this production? Uh, our days in Brazil for two weeks, we travel nonstop in Brazil, trying to get as much footage as possible. We got 24,000 terabytes. It wasn't a gigabyte. I can't remember. Not, I, I'm not a technology guy, but we got so much footage. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But long story short, um, we were working like 15 hours a day. Some days, 18, 19 hours a day wow. at one point. Like we barely had time to eat, you know, but I'd do it all over again. It was time of my life, like visiting Maeda's grave in Belém do Pará, talking to the relevant people, people who knew Maeda, people who knew people who knew Maeda and telling us wow, personal stories about him. There's all these stories, by the way, that I got that no one has, but they're off. Like they're very personal stories. So mm-hmm. I can't share them with anyone, yeah. but I know them. So I know these stories. Only I know them. And you know, that's so cool. Cause like that, that's going to die. These guys are passing away. No one's ever going to hear these stories, but I, I heard them, you know, they're, they're too personal to go on film, but there's lots of them. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that it stood out was, especially speaking to these grandmasters, I always picture myself in the future. You know, when I was, mm-hmm. I think I was, I was maybe, maybe smart enough. I am hesitant to use the word smart here, but when I, when I started jujitsu, I knew that my career was going to end one day, you know, I was living in the now, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, like put your pawns in place here for the future. So, you're not one of those guys who wins all these tournaments and then struggles, you know, for the rest of his life because, and he's living in a museum, you know, like living off his titles of 30 years ago. And I never wanted to be that guy. I wanted to create something new every, every day. Mm-hmm. But I always, I always like to look people from a generation older than mine or two or three genera- uh, generations ahead of mine, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so when I speak into these masters, I was very curious because I had very few opportunities in life to interact with people in their age bracket. But I wanted to see what is what is the Robert Drysdale going to be like in his mm-hmm. 80s and 90s and his early yeah. 90s. If I'm around, like, what am I going to be like? Because I see myself through them. Like, this guy's lived a jiu-jitsu life. They fought the way I fought. And now they're here. They're red belts. And very few people remember them. They can't teach class anymore. They're too old. Or some of them still do. But well, what, what, what am I going to be like in the future, I guess? And mm-hmm. what I took from them was it was surprising, actually. There was peace. That's like to me the thing that jumped at me and it was very beautiful because they were happy and they were completely okay with, you know, like the fact that they may die the next day and they were happy with how they lived their life. And one thing I did with a lot of these guys is I asked them for advice. Like, what would you, what would you, what would you have done different? Like, what's, mm-hmm. uh, give me some advice. I'm, you know, half your age, less than that. Like what? And they all had different advice and some of them were very, more like you know love everyone and love nature and some more very like <laughs> random like advice and some of them like really stuck out and some jumped at me and armando really to describe jiu-jitsu as it was his religion and that's how mm-hmm. he lived his life you know this is this was be became my religion from when i was very young when i started and you know the happiest years of my life were inside the gracie academy you know he's talking about the the gracie cool. academy in the 1940s yeah. and it was so cool. I, I asked Hobson, Hobson Grace, the guy. He was a very charismatic, very funny guy. Uh-huh. And you know, he's he's been like a he's a funny guy. Like you have to meet him. To, I mean, you <laughs> met him, but like he's 
he's Henzo, Henzo's father. And, he, mm-hmm. and I, asked, I asked him that question and he gives him some thought and he goes, in life, you have to be inconsequent. <laughs> it's like the last thing I thought someone was going to say. You know, most, most people preach like responsibility. It's like, yeah. no, no, don't be too responsible. You know, in fact, don't be responsible at all. It's kind of the, and, but it was, it's what he took from his life. You know, I'm not yeah. saying that's the best advice in the world, but it was beautiful that he was at peace with how he lived his life. That's, I think that was the message. It's, it's, it's not the kind of advice, advice I give someone half my age being consequent, but it was the advice he took from his life. And, and you can see he was that he would smile when he's talking. You can see when he was remembering the, those good old days, he would smile like he was, awesome. was this nostalgia when he was young. And but he was totally at peace with how he lived his life and the fact that he wasn't going to be amongst us in you know sometime in the future. And that was beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Now we're getting close to the end of the interview, so just to remind the listeners to stick around after the interview, give my final thoughts. And Robert, just give a final message to the listeners and how they can find you find more about your your work well i I teach in las vegas nevada i have an open door policy i'm not very political when it comes to jujitsu um everyone's welcome people come visit from all over the world the master's world's coming up so if you guys want to come check it out we have a camp i'm teaching we have a a camp that uh luana nachi and uh anna Vieira are teaching at the gym at the same time um so if you guys want to come check it out Mm -hmm. follow me on social media uh yeah i said one thing i do ask like i'm i don't like to you know me because i'm i'm very uncomfortable like talking about like oh you know talking about myself i don't like to do that unless people mm-hmm. ask the questions but i have no issues promoting this documentary because it's not about me yeah. you know if i so I, I really ask people to support because there's a lot of time and energy that went into this a lot more than i initially thought it's way harder than i thought it was going to be uh it's better than we it's it's actually turning out to be even better than we thought it was going to be initially uh it's something that it's for jujitsu. You know, mm-hmm. it's something that I think I hope the 50 years from now people still yes. be referencing. That's really the objective. We wanted to make the godfather of films for jujitsu. And that's, I think we're accomplishing that. Like, I really think it's something that people are going to like absolutely fall in love with. With that being said, you know, I, I can't do this alone. So I really ask the jujitsu community to help promote, you know, and I really would like the jujitsu community to have a better understanding of their roots. And I think that we have to honor the people who made an effort for us to be here because Ultimately, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and we have to acknowledge that. Awesome. And real quick, do you feel that you have the desire of doing an extended version in a book, like a, a written version, that you can add some of the flavors, some of the things that you experience that you're not able to put in so the video? This, this, is the, this is the historian speaking here. Like, I could add some new sources. I could reinterpret some of the old sources. Um, it will be a lot of work. I would tr- what I would try to do is do what Roberto Pedreira did in a shorter version, a more concise, mm-hmm. more palatable version yeah. of what he did. But to be completely honest with you, there wouldn't be like most of what is relevant is already there. Mm-hmm. Most of it. Granted, there's some new, you know, some, some new findings here and there, things we can add to the story. But to a large extent, I'd be redoing what has been done. So I'm hesitant to do that because as a historian, it's less exciting. But at the same time, I feel that it could be written in less words and maybe targeting a bigger audience, shorter version of it, maybe. Who knows? Um, in years I, from I, now. You know, I, I, I love writing. I love writing. It's one of my great passions in life, but I'm very picky about it and I can't do it in two hours. All right? For me to write, I need eight hours of quiet. I t- and it took me two hours just to get warmed up hmm. and then I can write. But for me to get eight hours of quiet and with my life the way it is, it's almost impossible. So... It's some. It's, it's a project for the future. I will do it. Cool. It's just a matter of ideally before the film is out. Film is out, but I don't think it's going to happen. But it's going to happen at some point. Awesome, Robert. 
thank you for your time. Congratulations for all your accomplishments, you. your projects, man. Uh, it's awesome to see your growth this whole time that we know each other for like 20 years. So yeah, super Likewise. happy that you're here at the podcast. And he knows, you know, you come back here again and we talk more about the documentary after it's out. Absolutely. I mean, my, my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Um, you can have me back anytime. It's great uh, catching up with you. Yeah. A lot of people don't know, but Gustavo was one of my teachers back in the day and John Lewis school was, it was pr primarily, I think Steve was like, why guy yeah. who mostly taught me, you know, mm -hmm. but like you and John Lewis helped me a lot too. So mm -hmm. I, I always had you and John as, as teachers as well. So it's, we go way back. Awesome. Thank you so much. And guys stick around for the final thoughts. Who's thank you. Let me share my final thoughts with you from the interview with Robert Drysdale. So did you think about your main takeaway from the interview? My takeaway is that people have different perceptions about the meaning of the word success. Now, what does success mean to you, though? Does it mean to make tons of money regardless if you love or hate what you do for a living? You need to define success for yourself so you know exactly what kind of success you're striving for. I was reading an article on the businessinsider.com called How Incredibly Successful People Define Success. And I'm going to share with you my two favorite definitions that I literally apply in my life daily and hopefully you can reflect and possibly utilize in your life as well. Here's the first one. Zappos CEO Tony Shea said, success is living in congruence with your values. Exactly what Robert and I were talking about it on an interview earlier. Now, let me tell you this. If you have an entrepreneurial DNA, there is a good chance that since you're young, you never like people telling you what to do or telling you what you can or cannot do. So most likely, this is one of the reasons why you became an entrepreneur. And personally, I realized young that I didn't want people telling me what to do or telling me what I can or cannot do. I loved my freedom and I made a decision. Freedom of choice became my number one value and I do everything possible to live in congruence with it daily. For those who don't know, I'm the co-founder of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu. And Live Jiu-Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and in the United States who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to children and young adults in impoverished communities. And one of the projects, it's called Projeto Gaditas in the south of Brazil. And it was created by a 35-year-old Eduardo Oliveira. From 10 to 24 years old, Eduardo, who grew up in a poor and violent community in Porto Alegre, got involved in all kinds of troubles, issues with the law, drug addiction, drug dealing, until he found jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu made such an impact in his life that he decided in 2011 to start a social project to teach jiu-jitsu to kids around the same age that he started to get in trouble, with the mission of literally saving lives and building better citizens. He decided that his number one value is to help people. His whole life is dedicated to the cause of taking people to a higher level personally and eventually down the road, it will reflect in their professional lives as well. Long and amazing story short, Projeto Gaditas offers free jiu-jitsu classes to over 100 kids in two locations. And in the HQ, 18 kids live at the project where they build a room with eight bunk beds and currently he's building a study room and live jiu-jitsu is doing what we can to support their growth he lives with his wife which is his biggest supporter the kids 16 adopted kids some officially adopted and very little money do you think that he considered himself successful 
Absolutely. Are you kidding me? This dude is a rock star. He lives 100% in congruence with his number one value of helping people. And I can see the passion when he speaks from all the jiu-jitsu projects that I've helped or seen in jiu-jitsu. This is by far the most amazing project that I've seen. These people are incredible. And I'll put up some links at the description of the episode at the BJJMentalCoachPodcast.com. Also, I mentioned to you that I was going to share with you two definitions of success from the article, How Incredibly Successful People Define Success. And my second favorite definition was from the legendary basketball coach, John Wooden. He said, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction knowing you did your best to become the best you're capable of becoming. John Wooden's quote is in alignment with my jiu-jitsu competition motto that I've been using for years, which is, Perform to the best of your abilities with the tools and knowledge you have right now. Sometimes your best is enough to win. Sometimes it's not. But at least you be at peace that you did the best you could with what you knew at that moment. Over time, I started to adapt this to my personal and professional life, especially when in 2013, I made a decision to pursue my journey of becoming the best version of myself and becoming even more authentic to my desires. How do I know I'm successful? Because I live 100% in congruence with my value of freedom of choice. I don't have to be anywhere that I don't want to, and I can live anywhere in the world and still operate my two businesses that took me two decades to build. I'm not telling you this to impress you, but to press upon you that when you choose to be yourself happy, living in congruence with your values, doing things that you're passionate about with hard work, sacrifice, and perseverance, you will achieve the success you desire. I don't know where you're at in your life right now. I hope you're in a chapter of your life that you're happy and things are prospering. Now, if you're not happy, you should be asking yourself today, why? Why you're not happy? I'm going to ask you two questions, and please pay attention to the three words that I'm going to emphasize, okay? Number one, do you feel that you're doing things in your life to have the results you want so then you can be happy or you're being your authentic self doing what you want so you can have the success you desire the same three words can be used and interpreted in different ways and it's up to you to decide how you want to use it in your life you can choose do have B, which is, do you feel that you are doing things in your life to have the results you want so you can be happy? Be careful not to end up chasing happiness and end up never finding. Or you can choose B, do, have, to be your authentic self, being authentic to your desires, and doing what you want so you can have the success you desire. That's, my friend, is the process of a successful journey. And keep one thing in mind, though, success must be earned, so earn yours. And as Tony Robbins said, it's in your moments of decisions that your destiny is shaped. So make your decision now to pursue your happiness, to live in congruence with your values, and commit to your journey of becoming the best and most authentic version of yourself so you can achieve the success you desire. Oh, 
We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, but the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.